Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Often, wisdom is doing nothing. Often, wisdom is saying nothing. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 16. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So what's the best defense against the wolves? Jesus just told us. Be wise. Be wise. Wisdom will help you live in the world. Wisdom can protect us from a great deal of harm. In today's message with Pastor Jim, we'll hear about a number of ways wisdom can be applied to our daily lives. Jesus himself exhorts us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Living in a world like ours presents us with innumerable challenges. But if we choose to walk in wisdom, we can prevent an onslaught of unnecessary problems. In fact, often the wisest thing we can do is learn to discern when it is best to do or say nothing at all. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part two of his message entitled, How Will Wisdom Help Me Live? Now this is one of those funny things about the Bible. Really, really funny. Remember we often say that the Bible is in so many ways completely the opposite of what humanity is, or perhaps better stated that humanity is in so many ways opposite what the the Bible is. Have you noticed, and you might have even felt it a little when we went through those verses, have you noticed that we tend to be just a little rebellious? Have you noticed that? Of course, okay, let me me put it to you this way. You're spiritual people. You come to church in August. All right. Um, Have you noticed that other people are rebellious? Oh, now I get it. I get an amen there. Right, okay. So that that we notice, that we, we are willing to concede and... Whenever anybody in our culture talks about authority, it rubs people the wrong way. We just can't stand that word. Even authority to God. People don't even want to have any kind of accountability to be under the authority of God. Interesting, uh, our culture, again, very different than the Bible. Our culture, one of the things people talk a lot about is self-esteem. I would say that the Bible talks about a proper self-image knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Because when people start to go down the self-esteem route, one of the things that we're often saying to each other is that uh, the problem with the world is people think too little of themselves. (laughs) Bible comes along and says, no, the problem with the world is we all think too much of ourselves. (laughs) That's the problem. So it's interesting here, King Solomon says, don't forget the value made to the king. What is he saying? When I'm gone, Maybe even now, but when I'm gone, he's saying, don't forget, you're going to make a vow to the next king. Don't forget it. We make vows all the time, right? If you're married, you made a vow. You made a vow. You know, people come for marriage counseling. I'm tipping my hat to the first session. Here we go. You ready? And, and people come in and they, and they say, uh, you know, I say, you know, well, tell me what the problem is. And they go on and on how it's their spouse's problem. 
And then I always say, well, let's go through your marriage vows. Yes. Did you have mouth? Yes. Okay, so you promised to have and hold in sickness and health, good times and bad, provided my spouse does everything I want all the time. No, that's not how it went. When we vow to get married, we don't vow to get, we vow to give. We vow to give. So he's saying, don't forget your vow. What about on your job? You don't really make a vow on your job, although you might sign a contract, right? But see, I think a lot of times when we think about jobs, we think about in terms of what we're going to get, what they're offering me. But your employer has a right to think about what you offer them, (laughs) what you're going to do for them. It sort of works like this. When you go to the store, right? They have product. You give them money, right? It's a trade. At work, it's the same, right? They have money, and you give them work, and then they, they give you money. And he's saying, don't forget these things. Don't forget them. Now, some of you are already like, I am not submitting to my boss. You're ruining my Monday. Well, remember verse 1, when you're given a job, let your wise face shine. <laughs> and do your job with joy and without grumbling. Some verses we read a few weeks ago, I want to read again. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Thousand years later, the Apostle Paul writes, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, bond servants, we might say workers, bond servants are willing servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, or we might say your bosses, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Then he says, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Now, if you ask people if God is in control, well, what do they say? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm Christian. Yes. Okay. What about, is he in control of the boss that he gave you? Oh, Pastor Jim, man, you're really ruining my Sunday here. What's the deal with that? But if we say that God is in control, we know that he is in control, right, of everything in our lives. So he's actually in control of our boss. You might want to grab the seatbelts on the side. (laughs) So rebellion to our boss is rebellion to God. Ask any of our teenagers how fun it is at youth group when I tell them that rebellion to your parents is rebellion to God. They're like, can't we play a game now? (laughs) If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not, glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you made an oath to the king who saved you. You made an oath to obey him, including the authority that he put in your life. Now, the Bible doesn't except for Jesus, doesn't make, come to any notion or make any claims that the authority God puts in our lives is perfect. I think he tells us there when he says, for he does whatever pleases him. Like, he's going to make some bad decisions. But here God's telling us that we have to acknowledge that he's king because God said he would be king. Verse 3, again, he says, do not be hasty to go from his presence. What's he saying? Don't be disrespectful. Don't turn your back on your boss. Don't turn your back on your parents. Don't turn your back on people that you're dealing with that God has put in your life. Why? Because you might just find yourself turning your back on God. You might just find yourself being disrespectful to him. 
So let's get practical for a second on your job. Can you have suggestions? Well, I have to put a little asterisk on that. If you want to get fired quick, just come in the first day and tell everybody how to run the place. Even if you were hired to run the place, come in, get a lay of the land, find out who the power brokers are. You know, G.K. Chesterton said, don't pull down a fence till you know why it was put up, right? Figure out what's going on. And after you've been there a while, sure, you can have suggestions. When you've been asked, of course, you can have suggestions. But be careful that your suggestions are just not things that are creating work for others to do. You've got to have wisdom about such things. King Solomon here is saying, but when it comes to the king, that's when you've got to be really careful. So what if your suggestion doesn't go over well? Again, in verse 3, he says, don't take your stand for an evil thing. Don't go storming out of the office, digging your feet in the sand, telling everybody else what the boss should be doing, gossiping. Now, in their day and age, Solomon would be saying, be wise and you'll probably keep your head. (laughs) In our day and age, be wise and you'll probably keep your job. Be wise and you'll keep your position. A Bible scholar, Derek Kidner, said this, there are times when wisdom has to fold its wings and take the form of discretion, content to keep its possessors out of trouble. Often, Wisdom is doing nothing. Often wisdom is saying nothing. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 16. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So what's the best defense against the wolves? Jesus just told us. Be wise. Be wise. Wisdom will help you live in the world. Number two, wisdom will help you live with what you don't know. Do you know what you don't know? No, you don't know, because you don't know it. Verse six, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Now, this is interesting. God knows what's going on, right? But we don't. Now, there's all kinds of people walking around in churches today. I get it. You know, like everything's going wrong. Everything. I mean, everything is going wrong in their life. And they're like, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just, you know, having a good time. And and the Bible writers are not like that. Read the Psalms. They're like, what are you doing? (laughs) But here, he's willing to say, listen, um, not knowing weighs us down. Not knowing is hard. It's not easy. I would make the case that a lot of times not knowing God is you know, helping us to trust him more. But that doesn't, it doesn't always seem that logical. You're not like, everything's going wrong and you're not like, you're not talking on the phone on your cell phone, which you're not supposed to be doing when you're driving, but you're not talking on your cell phone or, and, and having an argument with someone and then you bang into somebody's rear end and then the policeman comes over, are you okay? And you go, well, the Lord is just teaching me to trust him. That's not the way it works, Right? In the moment, it just seems like, what in the world is going on? Why? Look at verse 7. For he does not know what will happen. None of us knows the future. So who can tell him when it will occur? Verse 8. No one has the power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. He's talking about life and death. There's no release from that war. So, To anybody, no matter who you are, if you're in a battle and you're surrounded, right? Wise or unwise, you're in the battle. 
you're not getting out of it. And wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. They're not going to escape either. You know how he says, oh, the wicked get all the breaks in life. When they're surrounded in the battle, who gets the breaks? The enemy, right? Nobody gets the break. Verse 9, all this I have seen and applied to my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. So here we have the world's richest man. Our culture tells us if you have a lot of money, it's going to fix everything, right? He's the wisest man in the world. He makes good decisions, it seems, on certain things. He's got tons of women. Oh, if you had your sexuality straight, then the world would be all okay. And he is willing to admit that at times, we all feel apprehensive about the future. We think, oh, that guy's got no worries. Here's the guy who's got everything. He goes, I got a lot of worries. That we all know that sometimes, he's saying we all know that sometimes we're going to be in the dark. He also admits, the guy who could buy anything admits, we can't control the present. It's like grabbing the wind. Walk outside today, nice breeze blows by. Oh, that's a beautiful breeze. I'm just going to grab it and save it for later. Can't do that, can you? Verse 9, he even says, that these evil guys, you're not even going to be able to stop them coming, no matter how hard you try. For them, what did that mean? He didn't know it at the time. They were unable to stop Ahab. They were unable to stop Manasseh. We were unable to stop Hitler from coming. We were unable to stop Joseph Stalin. We couldn't stop Al-Qaeda from coming. We can't stop ISIS from coming. We can't stop these jerk animals down in Africa stealing little girls, Boko Haram. We can't stop them from coming, he's saying, but he's also telling us they can't stop death and judgment. Someday, they're going to find themselves in the middle of the battlefield, and they're going to be the surrounded ones. You know, in the United States, we hate to talk about judgment. We hate it. You know, our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, they love it. They can't wait for that day. They can't wait for that day because they know that King Jesus is the supreme ruler and you don't beat up his kids and get away with it. And God's wisdom helps us to see this. It motivates us to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity, but also trusting him in the maze of life. So much of the church we we're only living for today, and other of us are only living for eternity. And God wants us living and trusting in him for both. And a lot of this trusting in the Lord, I hate to say it because it doesn't fit our American way of thinking, is waiting on the Lord. Abraham and Sarah wanted a child. Lord says, I'll give you one. 25-year wait. Think about that. Think about 25 years. Joseph taken a prisoner. He had a dream that, that his brothers were going to come and he was going to be the big shot. 13-year wait. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and it talks about certain people their whole lifetime. They didn't even get to see it until they met God. To be honest, I have, I have several things in my life that I'm confused about right now. I'm no different than anybody else. People are like, well, you're a pastor. You don't have problems. I'm like, I mean, no offense, but I know all you all. <laughs> we all got problems, right? 
and we try to wear each other's problems. We try to bear one another's problems. And, but with all the problems or the things that I'm confused about right now, trusting Jesus is the only way I sleep. I mean, I lay my head on the pillow and I'm just like, well, Lord, another one in the books for me. One day closer to glory. Would you help tomorrow be better? <laughs> I'm sorry for my mistakes today. And I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Jesus hasn't made a lot of those situations better yet. Or at least from my perspective, he hasn't. But he has made the burden lighter for me. I know that he's been helping me carry them. But it's daily. It's a daily help. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, that's how wisdom will help you live with what you don't know. When you're wise enough to realize that the God you love and the God who loves you knows what's going on, and he's not going to leave you out in the dark. Number three, wisdom will help you live an enjoyable life. Wisdom will help you live an enjoyable life. Verse 10, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten. So he saw people who were wicked. They came and gone from the place of holiness. They were church dudes, and they were forgotten. Their lives were done. Now, some... Some of your versions say, my version says they were praised. There's a translation issue on the language there, but does it really matter? I mean, listen, plenty of scoundrels in the church got praised, and then after they were gone, everybody's like, oh, no, he was a rat. But eventually they're forgotten, right? We've said this in this book before. There's really not that many people in the world that are living that are really going to be remembered. Very, very, it's, it's an insignificant percentage of the population of people who will be remembered. You might be able to look them up on the internet, but, but people won't be remembered. I mean, gosh, most of us without, you know, Ancestry.com wouldn't even know who our great-grandfather was or great-grandmother was. So he said he, he saw these people who were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This was also vanity. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to do evil. What's he saying? He said a lot of people do evil because they don't think God's going to do anything about it. A lot of people do evil because they will say, well, well they, God doesn't exist. We said last week that, that most people think that because there's evil, God doesn't exist. And the Bible writers have the exact opposite opinion. And even people who don't believe in God, if you're just looking at this from strictly government, a lot of people think, hey, you can do whatever you want. Nobody's going to say anything. The government's not going to press charges. You don't have to worry about it. So people continue to do evil. But look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, people keep doing evil, but they keep living. Look at this. Yet I surely know. Let's just stop at that word know. You might want to circle it in your Bible. If you notice in Ecclesiastes, he's been basically saying, I have seen, I have seen, I have observed. Now he says, this is something I know. This is something I know. Remember we say, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. This is the Spirit of God bringing it home. 
He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Now, let's just, let's just really have to understand something. Again, we have to look at American culture and how different we see the world than God does. We think of wicked people as that resume of jerks that I just named before. Not you. Uh, Hitler, <laughs> you know, Hitler and Stalin and whoever we were else that we were talking about. And he says here that it will be well with those who fear God. Now, when we think of wicked people, most Americans think they're good people. They're not wicked. But if you look at these verses very carefully, who does God define as wicked? Those who don't fear God. See, we may have our own standard. God thinks that our ignoring him is wicked. Is wicked. Verse 14, there is a vanity... And he's just saying, this is something I've seen that doesn't make sense. This is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Let's stop right there. He's saying there's some decent people who get what bad people should have gotten. Any of you know a carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago you might say that about? He says, again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. He says, I say that this is also vanity. He goes, it's, it's, sometimes it's just reversed. Somebody does good stuff, and as if they had done bad stuff, people do bad stuff, they get away with murder. He's not, he's not saying, listen, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I figured it all out. He's like, I, listen, I'm the king, I don't get it. Now you said, I thought we were supposed to learn how to enjoy life in this part of the outline. Well, look at verse 15. What do we do? What does wisdom do? Interesting. Wisdom, here, he tells us the same thing he told us in chapter 2, the same thing he told us in chapter 3, and the same thing he told us in chapter 5. Any of you think maybe he's trying to tell us something? Verse 15, so I commended enjoyment. Not seeking after your own pleasure, we're going to see. I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So what is King Solomon telling us? That he's learning that rather than letting in the injustices of the world ruin us, rather than letting them sour us, you know, rather than be someone like, oh, I heard you're a Christian. You're like, yeah, this world's going to burn, right? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. No, what, is, what does he say? Now, again, we're not talking about extreme heartache, right? If you're going through extreme grief and extreme pain, that's, that's off to the side. That's a, that's a whole different issue. But our normal way of life, when things are going terrible in this world, they're completely out of control. We don't know which end is up. What is he telling us? Trust the Lord and go to a picnic. Trust the Lord and go have a big, thick, juicy steak. Same thing he's telling us. Trust the Lord and go have some good, godly fun. See, at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, he was trying to seek pleasure, and he found out that his own seeking of pleasure was not the answer. Here he's telling us, I know what the answer is, that wise people seek to enjoy the life that God gives them.
They seek to enjoy themselves where they are instead of complaining about where they aren't all the time. Now, are we, can we better ourselves? Of course we can better ourselves. Don't be, don't be silly. But he's showing us here that the wise realize that they are not in control. God is. And that's why God has the authority to tell us all to enjoy our life more. You have been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we are overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you would like to pass this message on to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Changed by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it is common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all of our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord here in the book of Ecclesiastes, one verse at a time. We here at Changed by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today.